0: The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. I am glad you're here. And uh, we're in Mark chapter 8. It's a bit of a longer series we're doing called Up Next Hope as we walk through uh, the Gospel of Matthew I shouldn't say walk through as if it's systematic, but uh, anyway, taking on certain themes within that gospel. So if you're looking for a spot, we're going to be in Mark 8 and then 9 and then 10. Um, We'll be here for about five hours going through all three chapters, uh, and then we'll head home. So no lunch provided. You're welcome. Um, Just kidding. Hey, a couple things I want to announce real quick before we move on and get into Mark 8. Mark 8. First of all, John Rich uh, was hired on about two and a half years ago, and the goal was for him to, uh, as the business business administrative pastor, to um, overhaul our financial system and get things where we needed them to be technology-wise and stuff, and did a great job with that. The entire time he was here, we were having conversations about that he could see himself someday living in Arizona. And so, as the last couple years have gone on, um, his kids had graduated college, moved out of the house. They were empty nesters. Um, His daughter got a job in Arizona. And guess what I could see coming? And so uh, about, about, probably been a month now, about a month ago, uh, John and I sat down and he said, hey man, now's the time, we're, we're going we're gonna to head down, move to Arizona, uh, we're looking for a place, going to have a pool, you're welcome to come. So if you want to join him in Arizona, you want to visit, vacation, um, we're going to have a schedule in the lobby, you can sign up for your week, um, I, get first, I get first dibs, so anyway, I'm just kidding. But he's, he's done a great job here, and uh, we honor that, we appreciate him and Angie, and they really have been incredible individuals to have as part of our staff. At the same time, um, he's gonna be wrapping up. He's got about two, less than two weeks now, He's driving down in a U-Haul and going to be living down there. So that's a heads up. The second announcement is that for a while now, Diane Habis had made the transition out of Grove Kids as our lead. And we have been praying, going over resumes, um, trying to consider who we should be hiring. And through a bit of a process with our board and key staff members and, and of course, prayer, um, we did make a new hire. Some of you already saw this because we posted it on social media. But Adrian Lawfer is our new Grove Kids pastor. And, um, yeah, I'm super I'm super excited about that. A couple of reasons. Obviously, she's already been part of our team. She understands our culture um, and that kind of thing. Uh, the other part is uh, she ha- she went to school for kids' ministry at Northwest University um, and has had a passion for it, grew up in church world with parents that have been pastors for a lot of years, and so I'm excited about that. Um, if you see her, make sure to congratulate her, and again, I think she's going to do a great job with our Grove Kids' ministry, so um, those are the couple things I wanted to mention. Uh, Landon Mark 8, feel free to turn off cell phones, pagers, I know, good timing. Okay, that's Nick. Don't do that to anyone. If you have a pager, congratulations. Um, Remember those? Like, oh, hang on a second. I'm getting a call here. Let me see. Um, But uh, anyone out there uh, purchased lottery tickets just by a raise of hands? Just want to, okay? So I know, and here's what people just did. Because you're like, you're going to call us out and say we're sinners or something like that, and that's not what I'm doing. This is not a trick question. uh, maybe you've purchased lottery tickets. There are some people that let the machine pick their numbers, other people like, well, I pick my numbers because anniversaries and birthdays and somehow God's gonna make it all line and I'll win. Anyway, um, and so maybe you do that, but I want you to do, do me a favor for a second and for all of us, imagine that there's a lady that somehow could tell you what the numbers were to the next Powerball, okay? Um, and, and, and she was looking for you to tell you those numbers um, how many of you by a raise of hands would say, yeah, I want those numbers, okay? So you guys, there's like 10 hands and you're full of yourselves, okay? You'd be like, you'd be tracking her down. You'd be like, you'd have notes. You'd be recording to make sure you got the numbers right. You might bring a friend to be like, hey, make sure you hear the numbers correctly in case I'm wrong. And I was thinking about what if she was a mumbler? Like what, what, was, she? Four, like, what, what was that? So anyway, okay, but if there were somebody that could tell you the next Powerball numbers and they wanted to talk to you specifically and just give you those numbers and somehow you knew it was true, you would probably do everything within your power to find that individual and get those numbers written down as clearly as you could and get that ticket purchased because there'd be some kind of windfall of resources, and that's all great it wasn't a trick question, but you might wonder like what does the, the the lottery and powerball have to do with, you know with the Bible and you know are you trying to teach us a lesson on like greed, which is why most of you probably didn't raise your hands or trying to teach a lesson on generosity or you know i, I don 't know what the thought is but I want to take you to Mark 8, and I'll come back to that comment here in a little bit. In Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 32, it says this, speaking of Jesus. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, it says in verse 32, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan. He said, you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 31. He said to them, the son of man, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days later, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and they were afraid to ask him about it. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And he took the disciples, uh, excuse me, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them, what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him three days later. He will rise again. Jesus today I would pray that you would open our hearts to the power of of these verses and some of the implications that we can take from them. God, I pray for open hearts and ask that you would continue to shape us and mold us the way you desire. I even pray for those that are guests today, people that that I've never met before but showed up as as a guest. I pray that your spirit would work and and open hearts and eyes and, and do something in each of us, God, that only you can do through your spirit. We surrender to you. God, I also pray for Haiti and all that's going on with the earthquake and now maybe a possible tropical storm on the way and just ask for your grace. I pray you would rise up, people that can, that can help and, and, and do a great work. Thank you for convoy of hope that we partner with that has already got plans and is, is, is getting there and on the ground and gonna have all kinds of water and food and supplies and rescue work. We just pray for your grace over that nation right now as they suffer what they are. God, we just thank you for your work even as we ask for it, in Jesus' name, amen. Continue to keep Haiti in your prayers. And by the way, as a church, over time, we've put together certain trips where we want to do relief work. Um, with COVID, we actually had to cancel some of that, but um, you can see some of that coming up in the, in the next few years. If you're interested in any work like that, keep that on your radar. I don't have specifics and details, but there will be things we will be doing um, as an emergency response team from the Grove. So just a heads up there. Um, these three different texts that I read in, in Mark chapter eight, nine, and 10 are the three places in the gospel of Mark where where Jesus says, here's what's going to happen. And when he says the first time, um, he says it with some detail. When he says it the second time, he says it with a little less detail. And then when he says it the third time, he actually gives the most detail that we have in Mark's gospel. The first time he says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law He must be killed and after three days rise again. This is the first time Jesus has has brought this up. It's an important moment because what, what... most of Israel understood about a coming Messiah would be that he would be a conquering king. Many of us are aware of this, but the idea of of a Messiah coming would be this deliverer, this savior of Israel, but not in the context that many of us understand savior. We understand savior, saved from sins, salvation, the work on the cross so that we can be forgiven. And that's huge, that's a big deal. But their first understanding and most common understanding in their day of Messiah or savior would have been the idea that the nation would be redeemed from oppression, redeemed in their context, as I've said before, from Roman occupation. They weren't free to be their own nation. They were subject to Rome. And so when they understood savior, they believed conquering king. Keep that in mind because what would happen is the disciples over and over are talking about, wow, when Jesus rules, we're like his best buddies, so we're gonna get to rule with him. And they're all kind of excited about this. So at this point, Jesus kind of turns the conversation because it's an important point. He says, listen, the son of man is going to suffer. The son of man is going to be turned over to be arrested and tried and killed. And so it's, it's reframing what they might have been thinking about who Jesus is. And that's the first time Jesus has said this. Now, in that moment what happens after Jesus says, I'm going to die, and, and three days later, I'll rise again? Peter steps in, and what does Peter do? He basically says, over my dead body. I'm not going to let that happen. And you can imagine the other disciples going like, hey, yeah, we're not, we wouldn't let that happen to you. I mean, come on, who, who do you think we are? And Jesus turns to the disciples and sees their look and looks at Peter, and what does Jesus say? get behind me, Satan. Now, you can look at that and go, why was Jesus so harsh with Peter in that moment? I don't know if you've ever used that phrase with anybody that you love, but I never have. I would hope that you never have. But, but here's Jesus, and here, the, the, the key here is understanding the conversation that happened right before this. Right before this, Jesus, as he's been teaching the disciples now for quite a long time, at the point before this, he says, who do people say that I am? Does this ring a bell? Who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say, you know, Elijah you know, or John the Baptist come back to life or whatever. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And who's the one that steps up and speaks up? Peter. And what does Peter say? You are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And what is Jesus' response? You got it right, Peter. Great job. Now let's keep that on the down low. And then he moves into the son of man must suffer at the hands of the chief priests and elders and teachers of the law. These conversations go together. The reason... that that Jesus was so harsh with Peter in that moment was because Peter had just said something that was pivotal to Jesus' mission. He said, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, exactly right. But here's what you need to understand. The Messiah is not gonna be this conquering king. The first time the Messiah comes on the scene, he's going to be a suffering servant. And they won't have any of it. So Peter steps in and says, no, no, that's not how this is going to go. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And then this verse, for you do not have in mind the things of God, but you have in mind the things of man. If you're reading the scriptures devotionally, if you're trying to study the scriptures and figure out how they apply to your life, that's a moment that when you're reading, you would stop and go, Lord, where in my life do I have in mind the things of man over your things? Where in my life are there certain areas that don't line up the way that you want them to? What are those issues within me that that I'm not on track with what you want? Because obviously Jesus takes seriously the life of surrender that you and I are called to live. I mentioned last week the idea that if you wanna be a disciple, we give up our own lives, we lay them down and follow Christ. We take up our cross and follow Christ. And so the harsh response here is because Jesus is really, really diligent, wanting them to stay on track with who he is and try to understand it. So Jesus rebukes Peter. The disciples are a little maybe taken back. And then you get to Mark 9. It's not too much later that this next conversation happens. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They'll kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And I love verse 32. Once again, they didn't understand and they were afraid to ask him about it. you know why they were afraid to ask him about it? Because of what happened with Peter. They're like, man, you know, Peter just got got rebuked pretty harshly. Like, we don't want to. I, I can imagine they're all looking at Peter like, Peter, you want to step in again? Peter's like, no, absolutely not. And so this one isn't nearly as specific. And it can be very puzzling why the disciples wouldn't understand. But keep in mind, that's from your perspective and my perspective, that for some of us that we've been in the faith for any length of time, we know the story, we've heard the story. The disciples are told, they don't quite get it, and we're kinda like, I don't understand why they don't get it. But let me put it this way. Think about it like this. If I showed up on your doorstep this afternoon and you're at home doing whatever you're doing and I knock on your door and open the door, but, hey, I just need you to know something. In in a couple of weeks, I don't come from means. We don't have a ton of money. But in a couple of weeks from now, I'm going to be a billionaire. And by the time we get to Christmas, I will have flown to the moon. And by the time summer hits, I will be the first person to inhabit Mars. What would you think in that moment? You wouldn't be like, sign me up. I want to go with you. You'd be like, are you feeling okay? Like, is there any meds you should be taking? Or are you like long-term fasting and you're kind of delusional here? I want you to think of it that way because what Jesus was saying really in that context was absurd. It wasn't so weird that Jesus said, hey, just so you know, there's people trying to kill me. Anybody ever had somebody tell them that? I hope not. Anybody ever watch Dateline? Yeah, everybody on that show. Yep, somebody said they were going to kill me. Right? You ever watch Dateline? I watch too much Dateline. Everybody wants to kill somebody. Anyway, so. I watch Dateline and and it seems like within the story, most of the time, somebody will say, hey, if something happens and I disappear, it's gonna be because of them, okay? So it's not totally uncommon, kind of uncommon, but not totally uncommon that somebody would say, hey, somebody's trying to kill me. But I've never watched a Dateline episode where somebody said, hey, just so you know, if I disappear or I end up dead, it's because of them, but don't worry, three days later, I'm gonna raise again. I've never seen a Dateline like that and they've never done a Jesus Dateline that I'm aware of. So Jesus says, they're going to kill me, but in three days after that, I'm going to be alive. And they're like, what in the world, man? Honestly, the best equivalent I could think of for my notes was, if I told you, I'm gonna be a billionaire, go to the moon, I'll be on Mars next summer. Cause it's like, what are you talking about? That's for the disciples, how hard it was for them to understand, you're going to be killed? but you're gonna be alive three days later? So when you get to the last one in Mark 10 that he says it, the third time that he explains to them what's gonna happen, it says they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. This is important to understand this verse. With Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. That verse specifically is trying to help us understand. Mark 10 is the beginning of, of what we basically call the Passion. The Passion is the time that, that Jesus was was moving towards Jerusalem, and then would be you know teaching in the temple, and then go to the garden and be arrested, betrayed by Judas, and arrested, and then tried during the night, and taken from you know you know uh, Herod, Pontius Pilate, this back and forth because of Rome and Israel and this kind of fight, this battle they had with power, and and Mark 10 is the beginning of it. So that verse is specifically saying as he moved towards Jerusalem, they could tell that something big was building. They could tell that something big was going to happen. And as I've said before, throughout Mark and the other gospels, the heat was being turned up. So now that Jesus is heading to the center of the religious world at that point in Jerusalem, it was a big deal that Jesus is like, all right, let's go guys. Because if they could have had their way, they are like, let's not go there. You're probably going to get arrested. Let's not go there. We've heard that they're trying to kill you. And Jesus is like, I've been telling you that for a while now. And so Jesus is leading the way. The disciples are like, oh, my word, like, here we go. And everyone else is like, oh, my gosh, this is terrible. Okay, so that's specifically verse 32. And then it says, he took the 12 aside. So the, the whole crowd is, is going heading to Jerusalem and Jesus pulls the 12 aside, which he often did to teach them specifically. And so here he pulls them aside and he says, we're going up to Jerusalem. He said, and the son of man, and there's an immediacy to this. So he's not saying eventually anymore. He's saying now. And the son of man will be currently coming up here, delivered over to the chief priests and teachers Of the law, and he's talking of Judas' betrayal right there. They will condemn him to death because they had the right to do that in trial, but then they had to get permission from Rome to actually perform the execution. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. He hasn't said this yet, so this is very specific. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Those are prophetic. Going back to the Old Testament, the mocking and spitting on him, it was all foretold in the Old Testament that that was what would happen to the Messiah. Isaiah 53 talks of the suffering servant in detail. And then it says, um, they'll mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Do you know what follows this conversation? Okay, let me rewind for a second. Don't read ahead yet. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem The disciples are like, this is actually happening. And the crowd's like, this is terrible. He's gonna get killed. We're afraid for his life. Oh my word. And then Jesus says, disciples, come here a minute. Hey, hey, you guys, the crowd, just stay over here. And he brings the disciples over and he says, hey, listen, they're gonna kill me. This is gonna happen. Three days later, I'm gonna rise again. James and John raise their hand. Jesus, uh, come, come here a second. Yeah, what's up, guys? Hey, listen, when you're in your kingdom, can we be on the right and left? Does that, is that, does that puzzle anybody? Like, did you hear what I just said? They're going to kill me. Yeah, yeah, we heard that. Hey, can we rule with you? I, these guys are knuckleheads. I've said before, my favorite description of the disciples is what Chuck Swindoll said when he described them as a ragtag band of neer do Basically, it's a nice way of saying they were boneheads. And this is one of those moments. He's trying to tell them this is what's going to happen, and they can't understand it. So they're still kind of going, well, I mean, he's going to rule, so we want to rule with them. Matthew's account actually says their mom came along and said, hey, you see my son's over here? And you can imagine Jesus going, like, I'm talking about dying, and what's the deal? And there's this conversation about who's going to rule. Why do I go into all this detail about the three times in Mark that Jesus predicted that he was going to be handed over to the chief priests and elders and teachers of the law. He was gonna be tried, found guilty, handed over to Rome where they would mock him, spit on him, um, flog him, and kill him. Why do I bring up that after that he said, three days later, I'm going to raise again? Why do I bring it up? I bring it up because not only did he say it, what happened? He did it. He gave them the lottery numbers. He told them all in detail what was going to happen. And then he does it. It's not unusual for somebody to say, somebody's trying to kill me and then they end up dead. That's not a surprise. That happens all the time, unfortunately. But the difference is he said, I'm going to rise again and then does. And and as we wrap up this series coming up here, and it's been a long one, But as we wrap up this year, we're gonna talk about the crucifixion and, 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 and some of the details of what was going on there this next week, but why do I focus on all this? I would put it this way. If you ever meet somebody who tells you that they're going to be killed and three days later rise again and then does it, you should probably listen carefully to what they have to say. You're like, okay, so? What else did Jesus have to say? Paul refers to them as great and precious promises. And the reason this rings in my ears, and and by the way, I have picked through the entire gospel of Mark in detail. I spent a lot of time working on each piece of, of, of the whole book and then parting it out in different topics. And for some reason, over and over as I was studying, the three times he told the disciples what was gonna happen stuck out to me. And why do I bring it up today and make such a big deal out of it? At the end of the day, many of us understand that Jesus did what he did so that you and I could find forgiveness. So that we could find life. So that we could live in hope. So that we can turn our lives over to Christ and surrender and that's the most important decision that anyone could ever make. And that's huge. And it's a step that maybe you even need to take today. Again, I know we, we got, this is our gathering where there's people online and maybe you're watching at home. Don't get sidetracked and distracted by being at home. maybe for some of you sitting in this room today, it's a place of surrender. Jesus, I believe in what you did for me so I could have life. And some of us have made that decision and crossed that line and maybe you haven't yet. And I would challenge you today to go, you know what, I wanna invite Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I wanna follow him. I want forgiveness, I want that hope. And that's huge. And you know the next part of the conversation? When Paul says great and precious promises, The reason I think it's such a big deal is because, yeah, if Jesus said these things and then did them, we should listen. Because he gives us many other promises that go along with his love for us and salvation. And that's where in a world that there's there's all these voices that are screaming at us. All these voices that talk of of ways to exist that, that, you know, we sort of, if it feels good, do it world. Instant gratification world coping with, with with stress through a bottle or pills or you know substances world all kinds of ways that that we 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 hear you know like 24 hour news cycles that play to our fears and so we live in fear or on the other end i'm not going to live in fear and we live bold but we ignore certain things and so we, we play that that game this extreme here and extreme here and, and and we get we get in this dangerous spot where you know i'm going to get mine and these are these are my rights and i'm going to stand i i get the the struggle but it comes across with this anger, which I would say is driven by fear, which isn't what God desires. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. That We don't have to live in that world. But it is a battle because we live in a tension between two worlds we, we live in a world that sends us all kinds of messages that is a system that doesn't line up with, with what God wants. And yet we want to surrender to what God wants, but we see this world that pulls us all the time. That's not uncommon to the writers of Scripture that Paul wrote of this, Peter wrote of this, John wrote about this in 1 John. Over and over we read about this tension that we live in all the time. But the writers of scripture, if you're a regular reader and study of scripture, would tell you, look, you can have peace in the midst of turmoil. You can have strength in the midst of weakness. You can have hope in what looks hopeless. You can have healing in the midst of addiction. You can, all these different things are true and we've got to anchor ourselves to that truth. If indeed Jesus said, they're going to kill me, but three days later I'm going to rise and then does it, he has many other things to say about how you and I can live our lives with real life, and that's what I desperately want for you and for me, life. If Jesus were to come to you today and challenge you, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of mankind, what might be on that list? If he were to get specific with you, what might be on your list? A nagging anxiety? A gripping fear? A sense of, I'm gonna do what I wanna do? A leaning into things that you know God has said, run from that? Is there an addiction? Is there a habit you've picked up? Are there ways that you think that, that constantly plague you? The other day, my, my son went to take his final drive to get his license. And he got out of the car and got into the driver's Z car to take his final test and drove away. And I just prayed, God, I just help him to do well. I didn't even watch him drive away. And he came back and he popped out of the car and they went to the trunk where they get out the notes and went over the test and he's, and I'm, you know, 50 feet away watching and I knew the moment he found out his grade because his countenance changed. I could see it. And he got in the car with me. I said, what's up, man? How'd it go? And of course, the first thing is I, I didn't pass and he was super distraught. And as we drove away, um, we just began to talk about it. I said, well, so how did it go? What happened? And he began to explain to me what happened and he's pretty distraught about it and he said, I just don't wanna do this anymore. I quit, I'm done, I don't wanna do this anymore. Question, anybody out there ever failed your first drive test? Yeah, a, a bunch of us, because my hand's up too, I remember. Mine was like, I backed around a corner and there was a car coming. <laughs> there, that's, that's automatic <laughs> fail. And so I didn't know that in the moment. So I back around the corner like, oops, sorry. And she goes, uh, go ahead and drive back to the, you know, no more test. So I, drive, so I drive back. We didn't get out and sit on the trunk or get on the trunk the notes. She literally just goes to me. She goes, yeah, um, that's an automatic fail. <laughs> anyway, I passed after that, and I've been driving perfect ever since. Okay. Um, so, so. He's explaining, I mean, he literally so emotional, but he's explaining to me, he's trying to explain kind of what happened and where he got d- docked on points and stuff like that, but he failed. And, and the whole idea, though, was that he, he I want to quit. I'm done. I said, Jack, why would you quit when you're so close to the finish line? What was he saying? I want to quit. Why was he saying it? Because his emotions were all out of whack. See, for you and I, there's something about all that we experience in this world that can get our emotions all out of whack. And if we just make decisions based on those moments, that's not good. If we just live in, in, in this world, given to patterns of this world and not given to who God is and holding on to the promises He's given us, then we end up like Peter when Jesus says, You have in mind the things of man, you need to have in mind the things of God. What does it look like for you to hold on to the things of God? What does it look like for you to trust even though you don't see everything going on? In a few moments here, we're gonna sing that song. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. It's a song we sing, not because, oh, it's put together well in the words and the the, lyrics and the notes and that sounds amazing and it makes me feel neat. Sometimes I get concerned with our worship because we're just singing some random songs we don't really take the words in. But worship is actually an act of faith that we sing as a declaration. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop working. I sat down with a couple this last week just talking through the stuff they've been going through and and. It was a lot of stuff, medical challenges, and that brought on some of the financial realities of a lot of hospital and bills and all that stuff. And and at one point, the husband in this conversation said, "You know what?" And I, whatever reason the conversation, I knew something profound was about to come out. He said, but "You know what?" I said, "What? Tell me." Because you know, in the midst of all of this, as we've continued to pray, we've continued to have peace. He went on to say, the the situation didn't really change. It took time, because over time it did. The situation didn't originally change, but our focus was on Christ. And I wanna train up a, a body of people at the Grove Church that there's all kinds of circumstances that we face, and there's great circumstances and celebrations, and there's tough circumstances and low points, and there's everything in between. But what does it look like for you to have in mind, good or bad, good experiences or bad experiences to have in mind to hold in mind the things of God because that's what we're called to do that's what we're challenged to do our emotions will tell us one thing this world pattern will tell us one thing but what does it look like for you to lean into the things of God in the midst of whatever it is that you face whatever it is that weighs you down whatever it is That is a trial for you. And I wrote this down and I'll end with this. Jesus says, I will never leave you. Jesus says, I'll give you rest. The scriptures tell us that He's our deliverer, that in Him we find forgiveness, that He's our hope, He's our light. That he's our strength. That he's promised his Holy Spirit to empower us. That he is our healer. That he is our comfort. That he brings us into a family like this called the church, not a building, but a people. That he's our provider. And that when our days here end, He's gone ahead to prepare a place for us. I say all of that to remind us He's given us these great and precious promises that we're told to hold on to no matter what goes on in our lives and to not stray from them, even though we're pulled sometimes those directions, to not throw in the towel. Jesus, help us. Even as we sing for a few moments in the, a little bit here, to trust to not be given to the negativity, to not be given to the fear, to not be given to the anger and and expression that we see all over the place, especially on social media, to not not walk in hopelessness, but also not be given to our selfish patterns of addiction or or straying from our marriages and and being entertained by some other relationship. God, not being given to, to cooling off and chilling out because of what a bottle can do for us or what a pill can do for us. I'm grateful for medical science and I'm grateful for medications, but at the same time, God, sometimes we medicate in ways that you're saying, hey, be aware there's a problem here. God, help us not live by the pattern of this world. Do not live by what Jesus said to Peter, having in mind the things of man, but to be be disciplined, to keep in mind the things of God, that you have your ways, that we lean in and choose to trust. And it's so fun especially coming up here as we're going to hear the stories of people that have walked in perseverance, stories of victory coming up in September as we share them together, God. Church families that have experienced incredible things. I can't wait to share. Lord, help it bolster our faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.